Hello, everybody. My mishpoche. That's Yiddish for family. Shalom Aleichem. That is Hebrew for hello and peace to you. Um, good Shabbos. That means happy Shabbat or good Shabbat, which is the day of rest for all my Yahudim, which is Hebrew for Jews. Um, and to all my Goyim, which is Yiddish for my uh, my Gentiles, my non-Jews. I hope you have a great weekend. And this one's fun. This I love this. Uh, we're talking about children. We're talking, it's a book called Beyond Intelligence, it's how to raise productive and intelligent kids, apparently, according to a couple PhDs from the University of Toronto. And this book was fantastic because, because, this is key, I want you, every time you hear things about the kids, flip it. Flip it as to, to you. So if it says, um, you know, music helps stimulate your brain or your kid's brain, flip it to music helps stimulate my brain. Because I'm telling you, what I noticed after reading this book, it was actually just a giant self-help book. This is literally, as much as it said, this is how you raise intelligent, productive kids. This is a book. It should have been titled How to Be Intelligent and Productive. It literally is a self-help book hidden and and uh, disguised as a way to produce awesome kids. And really, I say this in the podcast as well, but you'll notice like this is literally uh, monkey see, monkey do is the epitome of this book. Okay. Um, if you're a great person, you will produce great children. Monkey see, monkey do. So yeah, let's get to jump right into it. Okay, people, before we get into a book summary on what just fascinates me, which is how kids learn, adapt, grow, develop, because yes, they make books on that stuff and you should go read them if you want to have kids. Actually, you shouldn't have to do anything. You should get to do things and only if you want to. Don't let me boss you around. But I get to deal with young kids every day. Part of my job. I'm a personal trainer. Train a lot of youth. A lot of youth. I'm telling you, like, it's crazy. They're sponges. And whether they seem like they're rebelling and they disagree with everything you say, like if you're a parent listening, they don't do that with me all the time. I'm very lucky because I'm a third-party representative. But... I'm just saying, like, they are soaking up everything you say, no matter how rebellious they seem to be. Keep that in mind. Let's, real quick, this guy, Sven, his name's Sven, he's a TikTok therapist, he's absolutely a goat, greatest of all time, for all my boomers listening. So he says, the best way to make someone hate is to tell them that your universe is the only right one. He says they're wrong and that they're a fucking idiot, apparently, because he's very blunt like that. But... Never forget that, okay? Be very open to other people's opinions. Be open to the fact that maybe your opinion isn't the only one. Anyways, I really like that. So let's jump into chapter one, shall we? The author kicks it off saying that IQ is relative. Kids should be taught that they're all intelligent in their respective realms. This makes sense, right? Yeah, they then go on kind of the history of IQ. And, you know, IQ scores, by the way, can change throughout your life. Fun fact. The test itself changes. They talk about how that IQ test is not very valid, right? It's been changed a lot. The authors then talk about different kinds of intelligence and that only four of the 12 plus are tested on the IQ test. They recommend all kids should be learning music. This is because of the alternative brain development pathways that they're provided when learning music. I never got to learn an instrument growing up. Now, this is because my mother recommended, hey, do you want to? I said no, and she listened to me. Um, Don't get me wrong, I played instruments in school, 
Shout out Vio- Viola. Viola. I couldn't even say it right. That's how long it's been. Oh, and the recorder. Everyone did that. That's classic. Shout out Mr. Bell. Also, great yid. Just a mensch. Just a tzaddik yid. Tzaddik, uh, tzaddik is righteous in, in Hebrew. Anyways, that guy was awesome. Aside from music, though, learning another language is apparently so good for youth. Just everyone's brain. Especially kids. Oh, and you know what? If you're still listening, you're two minutes and 35 seconds in. I'm so glad. I might have caught you. And I got. I should have said this in the intro. Um, <laughs> this book, it really showed me how to be a better human being. So yes, the book basically is about how to raise intelligent and productive children. But I noticed that this book actually is teaching us how to be just awesome, genuine, intelligent, productive adults too. Like you'll notice. Now I want you, I forgot to say this at the beginning, go through this entire book, replacing the word children with just me, I, okay? Like everything I say, think about it. Like if you did everything that they want you to do with children, you will be an awesome human being. And guess what? I'll try to say this at the end of the summary as well. The trick is to raise great kids. You just have to be a great person. (laughs) If you are a great person, you're going to raise great kids because monkey see monkey do. So there's a famous researcher, Carol Dweck. She actually wrote a whole book on the growth mindset and she pops up in this book quite a bit. She made a startling discovery that those who were taught intellect is a step-by-step process taking effort and practice perform better in academics, career, and psychological areas than those who were taught that intelligence is fixed. That is, that's so cool. People just realize you, you can get more intelligent. You can raise your IQ, which even then IQ isn't that important. You can raise your SQ EQ. Okay. Like you have to understand you can do things to make it better. It's not fixed. Don't ever convince yourself intelligence is fixed. If you convince yourself that you're going to convince your child that, and then you're going to fuck your kid up. Um, I'll skip that. Yeah, just don't say Jimmy, you're you're brilliant. Don't don't like don't tell a kid they're brilliant. You have to be very specific. You have to s- tell a child. I love the points you brought out in that paper. Like, which one's your favorite point? Or with my athletes, for example, I won't just say like you are you're awesome. I won't just say that. No, no, I will say you were so strong during that set. Did you feel good? And then they they start talking to you. A growth mindset, by the way, equips a kid to tackle challenges. Saying you're brilliant, it really teaches them to expect to know answers, which is impossible to know every answer. And this leaves them defenseless when they inevitably cannot answer something. And that, and when I say defenseless, like their self-talk, their ego, that it's, they're defenseless, they're fragile. And then they might actually start lashing out because they're confused or they want to put someone else down to make themselves feel better. Like it just gets messy. You just got to teach them that it's okay not to know. And that's a growth mindset. They will tackle challenges, right? <laughs> Someone said this, I forget who, intelligence is more about doing than being, eh? Intelligence is more about doing than being. Chapter two, one must have knowledge to be creative. That is a fact. And th- this was interesting. Like the, the book does quickly try to say, listen, we, we're saying IQ isn't everything. We're saying IQ can be changed. Like it's not fixed. However, they do say like you, a person needs some of these just prerequisite, I can't speak, prerequisite knowledge bases I, I really can't speak English a person needs a, a base level of, of IQ just to even be creative right now if you're wondering creativity itself it stems from self-mastery okay self-mastery if you guys don't know that's when you are possessing something that you are, are superly confident in have high self-efficacy in 
divergent thinking, that's thinking in different directions, okay? And communication, that's where creativity comes from. You gotta teach your kids all three of those so they have the ability to be creative. Einstein himself, he said, if at first the idea is not absurd, there is no hope for it. I don't know, you, it's a little schmaltzy, I don't really like it, but whatever, if you do, I hope that inspired you today. Good job, podcast over. No, I'm just kidding. Be open to your kids' absurd ideas, pretty much, okay? Do not, do not be that parent that just shuts down a kid's idea. That, but a lot of people do. Think about that. Like, like it's sad, but like, th- and p- parents may not realize they're doing it. Now, this book likes to give some short stories to explain their ideas, which I think books do a lot of just to fill pages. And yeah, this story, the kid changed their parents' outlook on the science of flowers and helped the parent understand that thanks to their lateral or divergent thinking that they understood flowers more, something like that. Now, this book is always prepared for people's counter-arguments. So, someone might say, ah, okay, be creative, teach your kids creativity, don't shun them for being creative. Okay, well, what about this, Sev? What if your kid's creative and they get a zero on their essay because their creativity was so off track that it didn't actually get them any marks in the assignment? Well, perfect, okay. So now they realize it's okay to be creative. However, this is also a lesson on seeking feedback to better yourself. So now they realize, okay, someone wants something out of you, which is to write an essay on uh, flowers, and let's say they wrote an essay on the sky. So then now they grow up as adults or teens where they're, they're not afraid to receive feedback. They will see it as a good thing that they got feedback to get better. So now you knock two birds with one stone. It's a creative child who can think organically and autonomously, but then you've also created this awesome feedback receiving child. And how often throughout sports growing up, I always heard coaches saying, I want a coachable athlete. No different than I guess researchers want people who are willing to learn and teachers and everything. People, I think any job too, they just want people who are willing to be coached and learn. Oh, this is just a fun one. I was debating telling you guys this, but this, this author of another book, F. Scott Fitzgerald would deem that first rate intelligence is being able to hold two opposing ideas in your mind at the same time and still be able to function. Fun fact, folks, your creativity improves when you're doing something you love, not just enjoy, but love. And I'm, wor- I'm using that word extremely lightly. Like, I mean, like, really have a passion for and love. And just think about something you really love. How easy was it to research it and get creative and, and think outside the box with it and just think about it? It's so easy when you love something to do that. So this, as a parent, you can obviously project that on your kid. Flow states euphoric. It's addicting. And I've never heard that before. I love it. It's so true, though. Dr. Lori Santos says flow is when challenge meets skill. If something is too difficult, um, then you get daunted. If something's too boring, then you don't want to do it and then you're out of flow. But when you just have just enough challenge that meets just enough of your skill, you're in flow. It's not daunting. It's not boring. You're flowing. And it is addicting. I like that. I've never heard that before. If you want to put your kid into flow, authors Donna Matthews and Joanne Foster would say, give them realistic goals. That is such good advice. Like, I say a lot of random fakakta here, but really, take that chokhmah in, my people, my mishpocha. Give your kids realistic goals and they will be in flow state, because then challenge meets skill. Also, that's really fun when other people's coined terms, you know, add right into people's current books and shit. Like, Dr. Laura Santos' stuff ties directly into these authors' stuff. I just love that. Curiosity creates engaged children. Remember that. Engagement leads to everything we talk about in this chapter. My personal opinion, 
before I even read further here was I think monkey see monkey do. So if you're a curious person and you again explain that and you, and you and the kid can pick up on curiosity. I think if you're curious, they will be too. A little side note I want to make too is while reading this, not only can you switch out the word child for me and I, because this book really does help you become a better human being, but also you can reflect on how you were parented. Were you parented like this? Were you not? How did that affect you? You can look inwards. And actually just coming off that book summary we did on marriage and how hidden issues, which is like going back to your childhood and seeing how that affected how you get into relationships. I'm just saying that you can read some of this and be like, oh, did my parents do that? Oh, could they have done that better? Okay, and then you can be like, oh, that's why I resent that. Oh, that's why I do this now. And you can forgive yourself, forgive them, and then it won't carry on into your relationships and become this unconscious fear that destroys your future family. Here's some things to ask yourself on based on, on how you were parented or how you're going to parent. Do you expose your child to a whole wide range of experiences, like cultural experiences, um, science-y experiences, athletics, technology? And then once your child's identified one or more of areas of interest, do you support their learning in those areas? That's key. Think of it, again, some of this sounds like common sense, but there are a lot of parents that wouldn't support certain interests people have. Now, I can't help but think outside the box here. What if a kid's interest was like in the KKK? Like, how could you not? Like, I wouldn't support that. But then I guess that's a learning lesson and whatnot. But like, still, imagine if some kid has a really messed up interest, like that, that is hard for you to support. Just saying. Oh, this is a good one. Is it okay for my child to hold ideas that differ from my own? Hmm, that's interesting. I think some people's self-talk would get in the way there and, and they'd be way too insecure to allow kids to maybe disagree with them or whatever. Do you celebrate your child's play from the spontaneity and curiosity perspective? Did you have were, did you have your play in spontaneity and curiosity celebrated when you were a kid? I was very lucky. I got to play with my brother all the time. My mother would let us and then just call us for dinner. But then there was, I vividly just remember we on weekends we do yard work. We had a big backyard and, and I'm sure it was only like three or four hours uh, on, on that, like a Sunday. Um, but I just remember vividly, like it felt like forever. Sometimes it would last all day because we have multiple jobs. And then, but I wouldn't be able to hang with friends until after that. And it was a valuable lesson that I'll definitely instill in my children. Not out of revenge, because I, I do feel some people make their kids do certain things just out of revenge. They don't even realize they're like, I had to do it, so I'm making my kid do it. Otherwise, not fair. But there are things like to prioritize helping the family out over hanging out with a friend. Like, that's a good priority to teach in a kid. Do you provide immediate feedback to your child's efforts? Did you get immediate feedback when you were a kid? Here it asks, do I listen carefully to what my child has to say? When you were a kid, did your parents listen carefully to what you had to say? That I, I don't feel like, honestly. Same with here, it's saying, do I as a parent encourage my child to think openly and patiently and generously about the ideas of other people? Again, when I was a kid, I, like don't get me wrong, I was taught all about the world, but I don't think I was encouraged to think that openly about other people's ideas. I think my mother and father like kind of encouraged me to just think openly about their ideas. Or just not even openly, just possess their ideas. They didn't really say I could think about other things. I, I don't know, but I have a foggy memory too. There's no right or wrong, says the author. These questions are just to make you ponder. I like the learning from mistakes thing, like teach your kid to learn from their mistakes. So many parents project their insecurities and fears onto their kids. But you got to let the, like, like, just let the kid make the mistake. And this is a point I've 
talked about with everyone in my life, but if you're listening and I don't ever talk to you, maybe this is the first time you've heard it, which is there are certain things you got to let a kid slip and fall on the ice. As long as they're not going to get really hurt, just let a kid fall or let a kid burn. Not okay. Sorry. Pause. Do not let a kid burn their hand. But if a kid is, yeah, if a kid's going to, what's a good example? Things that don't hurt someone. If a kid's, oh, I know, I know. Yeah, if a kid is, if a kid's gonna go wear a sweater outside, and and then they learn instead of the parent being like, no, you're not wearing a sweater, it turns into an argument, and the kid rebels. Just let them sweat their tuchus off, or they'll take it off, and, and then you have to just let them learn that way, and they'll know never to wear a sweater when it's hot out again. Like little tiny things that you just gotta let kids live. Same with like, you know, this sounds really bad, but like, okay, worst case kid does fall off of something and breaks their arm like i know for you as a parent that's a huge schlep to go to the hospital but in in canada it's free just like you gotta let those risks happen Uh, otherwise some kids will never learn so this book this book pretty much says let kids learn from mistakes now they do not actually go deep into like how severe the mistakes should be and i guess that's where the subjectivity of parenting comes in um, but then, then that's where I mentioned, like, think of the fears and insecurities some parents, you know, push onto their kids. And think of some parents who, it's not even about the kid. If a kid breaks their arm, they might fear the judgment of another parent being like, oh, why'd you let them onto something they could fall and break their arm? Like, some parents would judge, and I guess that freaks out some parents so much that they're going to stop their kid from doing anything. I don't know, what's your thoughts? While you're thinking, we're going chapter three, from diapers to diplomas. Apparently, there are five simple ways to bond with a baby. This is, this was cool, okay? I never knew this. Hold a baby close to your heart in skin-to-skin contact. That's the way to bond. Look into your baby's eyes. That bonds with the baby. Sing to them. Give the baby a lotion massage. And also, this is the coolest thing ever. Respond to a baby's facial expressions and mirror the baby, okay? Mirror them. Meaning, if they swing their arms, you swing the arms too. Because this is actually telling the baby that you're listening. Isn't that so cool? I'm going to do that now. There are actually ways to build someone's, a child brain. And this book tells you all of them. There's like 20 here though. I'm going to just skim through some good ones. The, this one is nice. Read books aloud with expression. And then also ask your child, did you notice the look on the rabbit's face? Can you make that look? What's going to happen next? And just like get the kid to start thinking for themselves. Um, Inventive activities. Inventive activities is where you let them create their own universe. So finger puppets, castles, songs. Also, interactive things. So science centers, natural history museums, right? Those are brain builders. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. Musical performances. And then impromptu family sing-alongs or sidewalk buskers, karaoke's. Just the musical performances are a way to get the kids thinking and brain building. Take them different types of shops. Create a mystery box. This one seems like a lot of work. But yeah, you just put random stuff in a box. Seaweed, bamboo, pebbles, other coins. I don't know. And let the kids just play around and ask questions. Take a walk to different neighborhoods. Hit nature. Go to zoos. Watching television together instead of... Um, and then discuss what you see on television. Get them cooking, eating, and cleaning in the kitchen together with you. This is a great learning experience according to the book. Oh, this is great. You organize a closet, bookshelf, or cupboard together. This teaches them organization. Sports and unstructured playtime. Classic. 
I did a ton of stuff at Fanshawe when we were learning about youth training and stuff, and just and we were just looking at the literature to unstructured play. So crucial. And then you look at soccer in South America, it's so much more unstructured than North America and Europe. Yeah, and even some parts of Europe it's pretty unstructured. That they're noticing people that play unstructured sports. Notice NBA players who played unstructured basketball. They're the best players in the world. There's something about that. Now, here on a whole other note, so spiel is over. Intellectual stimulation is not enough, according to this book. And this kind of blew my mind. They're saying reflection is just as important as that intellectual stimulation. Reflect, people. That is so key. Get the kid reflecting. And then you should reflect, too. See, notice, we could, without everything I just said there, literally, you can be a better adult if you just follow those principles. When you're stimulating yourself intellectually, also reflect. Like, as an adult, that will make you a better human being. You're going to raise a better kid that way. I'll keep coming back to that. And here we go. Here's a study tip for your kids, but it actually helps you too, which is uh, you want to study, 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 but not for too long. Take ample rest time between learning bouts and then study again. So typically you could do 30 minutes on, 5 to 10 off, 30 on, 5 to, instead of three hours straight. And you're going to learn way better for longer. Okay. And, and uh, yeah, that's, that's key. But if you learn here, it's saying... Uh, heavy instruction without ample rest will reduce how much you learn. So just keep that in mind. You want like 30 minutes on, 5 to 10 off, like these small bouts with a good amount of rest between. That's how kids learn the best. Which it's sad actually, like the way school is structured is, is literally there to, re like literally what the research shows is what schools do, which the research shows you reduce how much you learn when you have no rest between learning bouts. And like, sure, they just load a kid for two hours, like literally load the brain for two hours, then let them out for 15 to 45 minutes. But like, that that's like someone binge eating and then restricting a ton. It's not really going to get you anywhere, but learning. It's like binge learning. Okay, I'm going to leave you with one last thing before we leave this week's episode. These words, these two words are so important. Better care. Care better, okay? And now I'm going to explain. So, children participated in a study where the more care they had, not necessarily by parents, just a caregiver, it could be a nanny or something. They had higher levels of language cognition and social development than those who had low quality care. Now, I don't know how they taught, sorry, I don't know how they measured the, the levels of care, to be honest. I, I didn't read the study. I'm just trusting the book. But isn't that so cool? I'm going to leave you with that because holy shit, like this explains so much of society. If you care really well for your kid, they're going to literally be a better human being cognitively and socially, which which like is how you set up success. That's how a kid is successful in life. God, and it's a negative feedback loop because a kid who isn't cared for well, well, that's all they know. They've literally been taught how to parent by their parents, which was shitty parenting. So they're going to be a shitty parent. And those kids are going to be low on the cognitive and social level which means worse jobs lower income lower income and more poverty means worse home situation which just feeds into the shitty parenting like oh god this is a mess like whereas it's a positive feedback loop on the other end higher income higher cognition higher social life means better opportunity means happier people typically and which means for the most part better family life which feeds into the people learning how to be good parents because they don't good care. It's just, oh God, no wonder we're seeing society over the years just two separate ends of the spectrum. 
God. And I'll finish on that super sad, pessimistic note. I will finish right there. But just remember the positive side, which is better care. If you care really well for yourself, okay, remember, I'm going to say, I was about to say for your child, this whole book you can flip on yourself. Just care. Show good care for yourself. And my God, your social skills, social development by definition, and your cognitive cognition your cognitive abilities are gonna go up that's awesome anyways and by the way if you're wondering if you're like what zev what does better care look like it just includes warmth responsiveness the right kind of stimulation like we discussed um and the love so in a safe place for your kid can't wait to get back into part two everyone thanks for taking the time and please keep reflecting don't see this as how to raise a kid necessarily. Look back at how you can use these to be a better human yourself. I hope y'all enjoyed. That was Way more fun than I thought it'd be, actually. Enjoy your weekend. Good Shabbos. Shabbat shalom. Shalom Alechem. Take care. See you next time. Rate five stars on Apple Podcasts.